If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, you can open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Verses will also be on the screen this morning. But welcome to week two of our Armor of God series, where we are going to be walking through the armor that God has given us so that we can stand in the midst of the world in which we live. And last week we saw that the armor that God gives to us, according to Isaiah 59, is the armor that God himself wore. So when Christ came to this earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, meaning to save us from our sin, he wore this armor that we are now called to put on. And this morning we get to the heart of the battle. And just let me remind you, we live in a spiritual world and we are in a spiritual war. There is an enemy. He is real. He is working against us day by day. He's working against us moment by moment. And the more we disregard the enemy of our souls, the more damage he is free to do in our lives. You know, the enemy might be invisible, but he is not fictional. I think of the words of C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, or the demonic. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And there might be some in our world that have this excessive interest in demonic things, but for the most part, many in our day find the idea of Satan or demons to be fantasy, fiction, or even foolish. And, and who, who doubts the reality of evil in the world in which we live? You know, almost everyone agrees that there are certain things that aren't just tragic, they're, they're evil. Gassing millions of Jews in death camps in Poland is evil. Trafficking children in the sex trade industry is evil. Absolutely evil. Racism is evil. Rape is evil. And although many in our world would disagree with this, abortion is evil. Global jihadism is evil. Evil exists in our world. And we don't just get to interpret those things as just natural acts of inhumanity. We, based on the word of, of God, recognize that there is an evil one and if we give ourselves over to him we will do more evil things again we live in a spiritual world we are in a spiritual war yet in the day in which we live especially among the american church christianity has become more and more comfortable so comfortable that in our culture many have convinced themselves that God has called us to a life of ease and that God would never call us to danger or difficulty. And in our desire for more ease or more comfort, we often have become apathetic, uninterested, even ignorant to the battle that rages all around us. Let me give you an illustration of how we often live. On May 1st, 1950, 15, the Lusitania set sail from New York heading to Liverpool. Almost 2,000 people were on board, including 95 children and 39 infants. It was an amazing ship, fast, comfortable, luxurious, beloved, but this voyage would be its last. Days before the ship left New York, 
the Imperial German Embassy placed a warning advertisement in 50 American newspapers, including some in New York. And here's what the advertisement said. Notice, travelers intending to embark on the Atlantic voyage are reminded that a state of war exists between Germany and her allies and Great Britain and her allies, that the zone of war includes the waters adjacent to the British Isles, that in accordance with formal notice given by the Imperial German government, vessels flying the flag of Great Britain or any of her allies are liable to destruction in those waters and that travelers sailing in the war zone on the ships of Great Britain or her allies do so at their own risk. Signed, the Imperial German Embassy. Despite that ad, 2,000 people embarked on the Lusitania. You can still watch film of the ship leaving the port for its last voyage with people waving excitedly before they headed to their first-class cabins and enjoyed all the amenities of the ship. Yet on May 7th, a German U-boat spotted the ship. At a 700-meter range, orders were given for one torpedo to be fired. The torpedo hit the ship, and within seconds, the ship uh, rolled to its right, and within 18 minutes, the ship sunk, killing almost 1,200 passengers and crew. Never before had an attack on a civilian ship taking place like this. Yet when you enter a war zone, even when you're on a luxurious cruise line, you may experience the, war, the worst Excuse me, the war has to offer. And brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, we are in a war zone every day, and yet we live as if we're supposed to be cruising right along with no one ever touching us. A declaration of war has been declared against all followers of Christ, and it's to our detriment to live as if we should have peacetime conditions, or it's to our detriment to be surprised when we're attacked or when we're targeted. I think of the words of Charles Spurgeon who says, when you sleep, remember that you're asleep on a battlefield. And when you travel, suspect an ambush in every hedge. We are in a spiritual world. We live in a spiritual world and we are in a spiritual war. So let's dive in this morning and encounter the evil that we are continually at war with, according to the Apostle Paul. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13 together and Paul says these words he writes these words finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. And Lord, we acknowledge that, Lord, there is an enemy of our souls that according to your word wants to still kill, destroy. According to your word, he is a roaring lion seeking those to devour. Yet according to your word, greater is, are you in us than he that's in the world. Show us today, again, open our eyes today to the reality of the world that we live in 
Open our eyes today to the reality of the enemy and open our eyes today to the strength that is found in you. Speak, O God, by your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. So Paul begins this section, this final closing section, so to speak, of his book by saying, finally. And what he meant wasn't what you guys think every Sunday when I go, hey, in conclusion, or in closing, and you guys go, finally. This guy's going to stop talking. No, what he's saying is this, because of everything else I've just said, be strong in the Lord. Or here's how it would look. In light of all that God has done for you, in light of Ephesians 1, 2, the grace and peace that we have from God, in light of Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, our glorious standing as children of God, that we have been adopted. Ephesians 2, 1, 4, and 5, in light of the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and by his mercy, because of his great love for us, we were made alive. According to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, in light of the fact that God wants to do immeasurably, abundantly, above all we could ask or imagine. According to Ephesians 4, 1, in light of our calling to walk worthy of the Lord. According to Ephesians 4, 17 through 30, in light of the new nature that has been given to us and the Holy Spirit of God that is ours. According to Ephesians 5, 1, in light of the example of Christ. Paul's basically saying this, in light of all of those things and more, there is a battle that we are called to fight, and God has given us armor to put on, and God has given us a command to wear it. A command to wear it. And think about this, there is something in the sheer act, or even beautiful, about the sheer act of defiance that, that can ignite us. This determination that kind of stiffens our spine, or even amplifies our resolve and we know of course that defiance can be used in a million prideful ways that leads to rebellion against God but there is a holy defiance that should fire us up to resist temptation around us to reclaim enemy territory or a holy defiance to do as we read this week in the book of Job to not curse God in the midst of our suffering to not blame God or turn our backs on God in the midst of difficulty. So Paul ends his letter here by reminding the Ephesians church that there is a battle not against one another, but against spiritual powers. Powers that seek to tempt. Powers that seek to destroy. And I don't want to get ahead of myself this morning, but let me just say this. We must live temptation-aware lives. We must live temptation-aware lives, lives in which we recognize the work of the enemy all around us. Think about this this morning. Did you wake up this morning and think, I have an enemy that wants to destroy me? How much time have you spent this last week thinking about how the enemy has worked in your life or what the enemy is trying to do in the life of your children or your grandchildren? By our refusal to even think that way, we are, in essence, just giving the next generation to this world. By refusing to think about an enemy who desires that next generation. So Scripture tells us there's an enemy and we are in war. Yet oftentimes we ignore the enemy and we ignore the battle. How are we to think rightly of the war that we are in if 
Satan is our adversary who is like a roaring lion. What can we do? What should we do? Well, according to verses 10 through 13 of Ephesians 6, let me give you three things that Paul tells us that we should do. Number one, be strong in the Lord. First thing we should do, be strong in the Lord, knowing that this, God never tells us, okay, guys, figure it out on your own. God never says, I need you to believe more in yourself. God never says, hey, you have the strength, you have the power, you have the ability, do it. No, that's not what God says. When Paul says be strong, Paul's making it very clear that strength and power doesn't come from us. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. What he gives, meaning this battle has got nothing to do with your power or your strength. In this battle, our strength is more often a liability because our strength keeps us from falling up upon God and trusting him more and more. Did you know that if you feel weak and unqualified in the spiritual realm, it's a good thing? Because when we feel weak and unqualified, we're more likely to trust in God or to turn to God when things are bigger than us. In fact, let me put it this way. For the Christian or in the Christian life, weakness is actually an advantage because dependence upon God is the goal. Let me say it again. Weakness is an advantage to us because dependence upon God is the goal. For you see, we are saved when we realize we can't save ourselves. As Jesus said, it's impossible with you. But thankfully, it's possible with God. So we realize if we're going to be saved, it's going to have to be God who does it. When well, the same way we gain spiritual power, when we realize we don't have the power to overcome the enemy on our own, therefore, we're going to have to trust in God's power and God's ability. So what does the Bible say? It doesn't say be strong in yourself. It doesn't say surround yourself with strong people. Now, none of us feel strong all the time. None of us do. In fact, we have many character flaws. We all have weaknesses that continually show our brokenness. And yet Paul says be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of his might. Meaning you could be the weakest, most frail human being. So much so that you would never intimidate anyone else by your physical appearance. And yet you can still be oh so strong in the Lord. Because you have put your faith and trust in him. What Paul is saying here isn't, hey, you are the little engine that could. And all you got to do is say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And eventually you will get there. No, this is, you are weak. He is strong. You can't. Praise God, he can. Understanding that we are, if you're a believer, you have been joined to Christ. As I prayed earlier, as 1 John says, greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Yes, Satan is like a lion roaring around. Yet, James also says this, resist him and he will flee from you. Think about what, what Paul writes. Put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the schemes of the devil schemes all the ways in which the devil the enemy works in your life and i think about the the saying of, of aw tozer he said this i'm not afraid of the devil the devil can handle me 
He's got judo I never heard of. But he can't handle the one to whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. Listen, none of us are temptation proof. None of us. And none of us are strong enough to continually stand against the schemes of the enemy. We aren't enough, but praise God, he is. We are continually weak, but praise God, he is eternally strong. We find our strength and dependence upon him. Be strong in the Lord. But then secondly, Paul tells us this, know the enemy of your soul. Know the enemy of your soul. So scripture defines, describes Satan carefully and repeatedly. Think about this. Jesus believed in Satan. He referred to him. He spoke of him. He spoke to him. He pronounced judgment against him. The apostles believed in Satan. Obviously, Paul does here when he writes about him. He is active, Paul is saying, throughout human history. Remember a few months back, we did the Names of God series where we saw that names in that day revealed the character of a person. Well, the same is true of our enemy. Just think about some of the names given to him throughout the Bible. Fifty-two times he is called Satan or our adversary. Thirty-five times he is the devil or the slanderous one. He is called Lucifer, the day star or the shining one which we're reminded that he appears as an angel of light. He is the tempter, one who tempts us for the purpose of leading us to sin. He is the ruler of this world, meaning that his approach isn't isolated to individuals. He affects all cultures of the world. He is the prince of the power of the air, meaning he doesn't work alone. He is the accuser of the brethren, showing how he condemns us. Oh, how he tries to condemn us. And he is the father of all lies. He's a liar. He's a falsifier. And in order to understand the origins of the spiritual battle that we're in, we need to go back to where this war first started. We know that God created angels and that he created one particular angel named Lucifer. In fact, we read about Lucifer's rebellion and fall in two different places. Ezekiel 28 In Isaiah 14, if you're able, turn there. If not, the verses are going to be on the screen. If you can even find Ezekiel, that's one of the hard books there. But Ezekiel 28, and this passage is directed to the king of Tyre, but it's speaking about one who is working underneath all of his actions, which is Satan himself. In Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17, you see on the screen, it says this. Of Lucifer, God says, you were the signet, you were the stamp of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in your beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So the enemy was in Eden. We know that. Every precious stone was your covering. Speaking again of his beauty. says this, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. Don't miss that, that line. Satan, he's a created being. Meaning he has some power. He is not all powerful. And then it goes on, you were an anointed guardian cherub. So cherubs in the Bible literally protected the holiness and glory of God. He was the top of those, doing that 
His job was to protect the glory of God. It says, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. God is saying, you walked among me. You walked in my presence. And then he goes on. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, a guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. And then it ends this way. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Listen to this pride that led to rebellion. And then think about Isaiah 14. It's another scripture, 12 through 14, that says this. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Another version that says this, you who deceived all nations. You're a deceiver of all nations. And it says this, you said in your heart, and what comes next is what's called the five I will statements of the enemy. We are never more like Satan than, we are, than when we are declaring in our own self-will what we're going to do. We want to be the God of our lives. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, no one's going to stop me. And it says this, he said, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Here the pride. Here again the rebellion. And we see the fall of Satan here. And then think about what Satan did after he fell. According to Genesis 3, he tempted Eve, leading Eve and Adam into sin. In Matthew 4, he tempted Jesus and perverted the word of God in doing so. In Zechariah 3, we see him again accusing the people of God. According to 2 Corinthians 4, he blinds the eyes of unbelievers and keeps them from seeing the glory of the gospel. According to 1 Timothy 3, he snares the wicked. He puts his bait out, and when they bite, he grabs a hold. In Isaiah 14, as we just said, he deceives the nations. In 1 John 5, he runs or rules the system of this world. But Satan has consistently aimed his personal attacks at getting people to doubt, to deny, to disregard, even disobey the revealed will of of God. This is a small glimpse of who he is. Then in Ephesians 6:12, here's what Paul says. You'll see on the screen, for we do not wrestle. And just stop there. When we wrestle someone, we're in close contact with them. To wrestle means you are in hand-to-hand combat. It's not talking about far off here. But we do not wrestle against. And I want you to pause there because Paul uses that word against five different times in this one verse. Reminding us there is an enemy who is against us. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Part of the unseen world, according to Paul, is a very dark place. It is ruled over by evil supernatural forces who operate under Satan's control. And they carry out Satan's wicked purposes and his schemes. Listen, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about the organizational structure of the devil's dark forces. So we need to be very careful how we proceed. But this list that we just read of spiritual powers has this picture of hierarchy and organization. When we think about just our military structure, you think about generals and privates and all these ranks, the same picture seems to be given here. And yet we pause and we go, well, although our opponents are not flesh and blood, as Paul tells us, we are. We're flesh and blood. We're not principalities. We're not powers. We're not spiritual forces. We're just ordinary, flawed, fallen, flesh and bone humanity. But please hear this. Please don't miss this. Because what Paul is telling us is this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So Paul is saying the most troubling things in your life right now, things that you perceive with your five senses, are not your real enemy. They're not your real enemy. In other words, the battle is never against people. No matter what people have done to hurt you, no matter how much they have hurt you deeply. Listen, this one verse should change everything for us because we realize that the battles we're facing aren't against flesh and blood. They're not against that person that we've hated forever because of what they've done to us. It's the enemy. And when we realize who the enemy is, we're able to fight the enemy and not everything else. For you see, the easiest thing for us to do is to battle with the physical. It's like a police officer sitting in his living room watching cops on the TV and getting upset with the person who's, who's fighting the cops so he pulls out his gun and starts just unloading on the television. It's not going to do any good whatsoever and it's going to make more of a mess than already is going on. And let me make a statement that you've heard from this pulpit many times before and you will continue to do so, but that is this. Unforgiveness is one of the biggest challenges and let me say this, one of the biggest sins facing the church today unforgiveness to withhold forgiveness is to play right into the enemy's hands which means if you're taking notes write this down forgiveness is spiritual warfare forgiveness learning to forgive is spiritual warfare think about this in matthew 6 14 and 15 jesus warned us all who listen to him us now with these words, Jesus said, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Praise God. But then Jesus said this, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And what Jesus means by that is this. Let me paint this picture clearly to us. If we are too proud and bitter to hold out our hands of forgiveness to those who have hurt us, God will not hold out his hand of forgiveness to us. Now, we will still be children of God. You'll still be a son or daughter of God, but your fellowship with him will be greatly impacted. And just think about churches, maybe even this one, filled with unforgiven people who are refusing to forgive those who have wronged them and then ask yourself these two questions. Can a church 
filled with unforgiveness bring glory to one who so graciously forgives? Let me ask that again. Can a church filled with unforgiveness bring glory to one who so graciously forgives? And then secondly, is that not exactly the kind of church the enemy wants? Does not the enemy just want a church that's just so bitter and so angry and so mad at everybody else, all the while refusing to understand what the enemy is trying to do? The most effective way for us to wage spiritual warfare today is to quickly and freely forgive. And the word forgive means to give away. And so here's what I know, and I say this all the time. I will say I've forgiven somebody. I, I forgive them. I won't see them for a while, and all of a sudden I'll see them again. And everything they did to me comes right back in that moment. So what do you do? Do you go, well, I've forgiven enough? Or do you do what the word forgive means? I give it away. I give it away. I give it away. Every time it comes up, I give it back because it's forgiven. Oh, to God, that God would help us to be a forgiving people, but that we would understand the enemy of our soul and how he works, which leads us to number three. Third thing Paul tells us to do, put on the armor and stand up. Put on the armor and stand up. Look at verse 11. Paul says, put on the whole armor, all of it of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, all the ways in which the enemy works, the schemes of the devil. Then he says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Listen, we put on this armor, God's armor, and we put it on so that we can stand. On April 18th, 1521, so over 500 years ago, in Worms, Germany, a German monk stood trial before the Holy Roman Emperor and other religious elites, and he was charged with heresy. So this monk taught and wrote against the Catholic Church, and here's what he taught. That salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That is what he wrote, that is what he stood and his books were laid out in front of him. And the question asked by his accusers to him was very direct and simple. Will you recant of everything that you wrote? And the monk had already spent 24 trembling hours processing his defense and the ramifications of his defense. Finally, Martin Luther stood before his accusers and he said this. I will speak clearly unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason. I cannot recant. My conscience is held captive by the word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. And here's what he said. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Here I stand. I can do nothing else. So help me God. God, Christian, are you standing? Are you standing? Will you stand? Will you stand? To stand means this. It means that we have dug our feet in. It's actually a military term meaning to hold your position. To hold your position. It means that the devil doesn't gain an inch in your life, nor does he move us off course. When the devil and his forces advance, we are to hold our position and we are to refuse to be moved. 
It means like we stand like an oak against all the winds that Satan blows at us trying to sway us. Or we stand against all the floods of temptations that would sweep us away. The word of God tells us God has given us a glorious standing in that we stand in grace. We stand in his mercy that's new every single morning. We stand in faith. We stand in courage because of his strength, not ours. We stand together. I was studying this scripture this week, and basically one of the things that Paul does throughout this is he uses all of these words in a plural way. So one, I guess, southern theologian said, imagine Paul saying this, finally, y'all, be strong in the Lord, y'all. Let's put on the whole armor of God, y'all. I mean, it's a picture where Paul is saying this works better when we're united in doing it. It works better when we stand together. So we stand together. Therefore, whatever comes our way, whether it be difficulty, deception, even when people mistreat us, whether it be trials, temptations, or when disillusionment comes our way, may the Lord find us standing. May he find us standing. We are in a war. Be strong in the Lord. Know your enemy and stand. Keep standing. Let me end today with the words from the Life Application Bible who takes these four verses and sums them up this way. The armor is available, but the believer must take it up in order to be ready. We would be neglectful to do otherwise, for the battle is real. And we are Satan's targets. Only with the armor will believers be able to withstand. Soldiers must be able to hold their ground and not flee or surrender under Satan's attack. Listen, are you this very moment, are you depending upon the strength of God? Knowing that your sole dependence on him is the goal of your life. You see yourself as being dependent upon him, knowing that your strength for today and tomorrow is only found in him. Are you living a temptation-aware life? Are you living a life where you look every day and say, how, how did the enemy attack me today? How did the enemy attack my family today? How is the enemy trying to attack my children or my grandchildren? How is the enemy trying to attack those around me that I can pray specifically for them? We need to live temptation-aware lives or think about this is there unforgiveness in your life is there unforgiveness in your life the second i said today about seeing someone someone came to mind have you forgiven them will you continue to forgive them when you see and when the enemy brings those things back up to you and are you standing well i might be talking to someone today that maybe just maybe in the course of your life, you have been knocked off course and you have been knocked flat on your face by the enemy. And it's so easy to hear his lies and just to lay there and feel sorry for ourselves or say, you know, what, what good is it for me to get up? All I'm going to do is fail again. And in that moment, may you hear the voice of God telling you, get up, receive my forgiveness, stand in my love for you, stand in who I say that you are, stand. Oh, to God today, we would stand. And that we would stand together for his glory. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand with me. We're going to ask the praise team to come forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever it is that you feel that God is telling you to do, that you would in this moment do it.
I'll be down front. We'll have others if you want to pray. The altar is open, whatever it is. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, we don't have the strength, but you do. We can't, and yet, God, you continually do. Lord, open our eyes again to this war that we are in. And God, help us, Lord, not to mock or scoff at those words, but to understand the reality of evil that exists in our world and the reality of evil that wants to exist in our our circle, in our world, in our lives. Father, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice that has never turned from trusting themselves and turned to Jesus Christ, trusting Him alone as Savior and Lord, that today would be a day of salvation. Today would be a day of doing just that. I pray for that brother or sister today who has fallen by their sin, and they're here today, yet they're laying down spiritually. God, raise them up today to stand in your forgiveness, to stand in your love, to stand in everything that you say they are. Help us to be a people, God, who live temptation-aware lives, that there is a tempter, that we are going to be tempted every day, and help us to stand against those temptations over our own lives and over the lives of our family, over the life of this church. Help us to see that forgiveness is spiritual warfare, and help us to forgive as you have so graciously forgiven this time. In Jesus' name, amen.